I didn't go, but instead, I think because I felt guilty, I just drank and drank and drank. And I woke up the next morning and I was still, uh, still drunk. And I attempted to go to work um, and ended up not going. But, um, but that was just kind of a real wake up call for me. I ended up missing my daughter's, uh, I ended up missing my daughter's, um, what do you call them? Parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was a really, really bad day for me. And I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. It was the first time I asked my husband for help. He came home at lunch and we were supposed to go to conferences in the afternoon. I was like, I can't do this. And he's like, go to the conferences. And I said, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this. Welcome to the Together Sober podcast. I am your host, Louise Barnett, former Fortune 100 global sales director turned Jay Shetty accredited life coach. Each week, we will provide you a safe space of guidance, empathy, accountability, and support, helping you to find effortless sobriety and mental peace. Before we get started, you guys, please, please, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, like this episode, and rate and review the Together Sober podcast. This is actually the only way that we can grow organically to start impacting more and more lives to find lasting sobriety and mental peace. Welcome to another episode of the Together Sober Podcast, where our mission collectively is to create survival guides out of our collective stories. So I am extremely excited to present an individual with you today who has a really, really incredible story to support the mission of the Together Sober podcast. Now, originally this individual, we wanted to connect uh, quite some time ago, but uh, (laughs) as I'll share in her intro, this woman lives a global lifestyle and just finally landed in the United States so that we could get our timing worked out (laughs) so we could (laughs) finally connect. So I am talking about Heather Melver. Welcome to the show, Heather. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I am excited to be here and that we could make it happen. (laughs) Of course. Well, before we dive into your story, I just want to share with the listeners a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you came from, why you're here. So this is what I love. Heather, Heather wrote this and she says, if there's one thing that was consistent about Heather's life, it was change. She's a global nomad who splits her time between Saudi Arabia and Washington state. She's the mother of three mighty girls who live with chronic illness. Heather herself has been in recovery from alcohol for about four years and has 10 months of consecutive sobriety. She is so grateful at this stage in her life to have found some magic in the messy middle of her life. Aside from this journey, Heather has a master's in clinical social work from Columbia University in New York. And over the last two decades, she found her calling working with children, teens, and their families in a variety of settings. She currently coaches women and teens experiencing a period of change or transition and is training to become a She Recovers coach and (laughs) mindfulness coach and teacher. This is so exciting. She Recovers is an incredible organization. 
So why is Heather here today? She is here today because she believes in the importance of recovering out loud. She says, and quote, I would not be as far along in my own recovery if it weren't for women who came before sharing their own experiences. I believe in the power of stories. So you can see why Heather and I align so much in our mission, in our goal. And I am so excited to hear your story today, Heather. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me. Gosh, it's crazy to hear your own words <laughs> read back to you. Well, they're yeah. very impressive. So I hope that you're proud hearing them read back to yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I, as I said, I just really, um, I really am grateful for the people, women especially, whose stories I've heard along the way, because it really helped to normalize um, my experience for me, even if it was even if it was different. Um, but it helped me feel not so alone. And I'm hoping by being here today that um, that that even if it's just you and I not feeling mm -hmm. alone on our journeys, but certainly anyone else listening along today. So. Um, yeah, you know, I think my my drinking story um, started really probably when I was in my teens. Um, I certainly had some sips of alcohol before that. There's, you know, living a global life. I know this happens anywhere, but I feel like when we are traveling places, like I think there's some family lore of a story of we were traveling in Italy and I was like five years old and going around the table, getting sips of wine from everybody Gosh. until I kind of passed <laughs> so that probably was a good sign right there. Um, but certainly in my teens, um, I I started drinking socially. Um, I, I just was in communities where teenagers were drinking, both in the States and overseas. And I don't think I ever, as I think back on my life now, I'm not sure that I ever drank without the intention of getting drunk yeah. or escaping mm -hmm. um which to me seemed normal at the time um but i and i think probably is why it took me so long to realize i had a problem and to ask for help um because it seemed normal to me and and i hung out with people who also drank and um i was able to i don't know somehow make it seem okay that way, um, even if they weren't drinking as much as I was. Um, so yeah, I think as a teenager, you know, I used it a lot as a way to, to connect with people, to not feel so awkward. Um, and I'm not sure that it really worked, you know, I kind of, as an adolescent, I really, I had, a, I was one of those people who was friends with a lot of people, but, um, but never really had a best friend. And I think that's probably part of it because I I had difficulty connecting with people and talking with people if I wasn't drinking. Um, and those conversations when you're drinking aren't real things or you don't remember them or, um, yeah. And so that carried into, you know, university and um, yeah, I continued, I continued to drink. I was probably very much what, 
people would call a binge drinker. Like I, I, I functioned pretty well. Most of the time I would drink a lot and heavily on the weekends. I was involved in theater and we were a group of people who drank and smoked and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then once I graduated and started working, you know, it just kind of continued into like happy hours after work and, um, and when big social events would happen, like reunions with old friends or whatever, lots of drinking. And, and that's when I think as I headed into my 20s, I started feeling and into my 30s, like the effects of it, like after a long weekend, you know, I just I wasn't young anymore. Hangovers weren't cute anymore. Yep. <laughs> um, I started feeling like it would impact my work. If I went to a happy hour the night before, I would be hung over at work. Um, but I was still young enough that I could kind of like play it off. Other people felt that way. Um, anyways, so this kind of continued. And then I got married uh, just before 30 and had my first, I'm sorry, yeah, about 28. I'm be married 20 years this on New Year's Congratulations. Eve. Congratulations. Yes, very exciting. Um, and, you know, then I I had my first daughter. I proceeded to have three kids move overseas. Um, you know, I think my drinking slowed after my first um, kid. And then we moved to, I, but still with the binging habits of mm -hmm. like, if because I deserved a break or whatever. Um, and then we went to Saudi Arabia, which is actually a dry country. Um, and you would think that would help you not to drink, but actually mm -hmm. it really creates a culture of binge drinking mm -hmm. um, because people kind of make excuses for drinking a lot when they have a chance. Some people do. I did. Yeah. So once you get your hands on it, it's like the forbidden yes. fruit, right? Exactly. It's yeah. like, oh, so my summers were spent drinking excessively. Um anytime we went on vacation and people make, you know, bootleg alcohol. Um, and yeah. And around this time, my third daughter was born and she was born with, um, hip dysplasia, which is a condition where her hips weren't, uh, fully in socket, um, when she was born. And this and my my middle daughter was having some some issues with um we weren't really sure what was going on but anyway the point is all three of them slowly over a period of time developed these kind of chronic conditions none of which are life-threatening all of which are manageable um but i definitely was starting to have a lot of difficulty coping as a mother and as a working uh i was a school counselor trying to balance like other the needs of other people's children and the needs of my own children and then my own like mental health and I 100% turned to drinking to manage that and it became and I became a solo drinker it was no longer about um I mean I'd, I'd still drink around other people but what started happening was just as soon as like dinner was over I'd go sit on the and the girls were like ready for bed um I would go sit on the back porch and drink and smoke and read and it was like my time yeah um and you know over the years it just kind of got worse and worse to where I would be up till two three in the morning and then you know waking up like in a panic having to get ready for work or um and 
it got to the point where it wasn't just around sort of medical, like we go through periods of time where, you know, someone would have to spend a week in the hospital or whatever. And I'd never drink through that. But then afterwards I'd be like, oh, I deserve it. And mm -hmm. um, so, and then it got to the point where it was just, you know, I never was a daily drinker, but I was like in every, every two to three day drinkers because I'd have like a day of a hangover where I'd be like oh my god I'm never gonna do this again and I wouldn't drink that day but then the next day I would you yep. know and it was just yeah. like this simple. so probably what a lot of people would maybe call like a gray area drinker or you know a binge drinker but it was becoming very problematic for me I was developing a lot of shame around it um what was your relationship with your husband as it relates to your alcohol consumption mm -hmm. kind of over these years? It was, um, you know, he would, he would, in the beginning, it was just kind of, you know, something fun. He never drank as much as I did, um, but he would drink, he, he would drink a lot sometimes when we were traveling or whatever. And, um, he was always just very, I think part of the reason that I ended up being able to get sober was because he was always just very loving and, and supportive of me, like the day after, like never inducing shame toward the end. It's, he started expressing more concern, mm -hmm. um, but always in a very loving, non-judgmental way. Um, you know, what can we do? What do you need? Mm -hmm. And he, I think, saw a lot of the bigger picture of that it was a symptom, mm -hmm. right? It was a, it was a coping mechanism. Uh, and so how could we find another way for me to get that support or um, cope, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think in the beginning and, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh my God, I have to, I have to quit. You know, the first few times I tried to quit or whatever, um, he was sort of like, oh, you're fine. You know, we, we just need to, it's all about balance, you know, creating balance in your life. And, um, but, but by the end, you know, he's been very, very supportive of me these last, uh, 10 months where I sort of went all in and, uh, yeah, he's just been fabulous. So That's amazing. It's such uh, a tough spot as a spouse role who, yeah. you know, every spouse is different, but like, you know, the, I'll just use my husband as an example. He, he has maybe a, a beer a month, right? Like there's nothing in yeah. his, his blood or his behavior or his habits that support that kind of consumption. And then I think it's such a fine line for them that they don't even realize the influence that they have, because on the one hand, being supportive and kind and gentle to your hangover, yes, it's avoiding the shame and the guilt, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of supporting your habits as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's so it's, it's, it's a position that I, I don't envy. And I, I, you know, really commend the spouses out there who are finding that delicate balance to supporting, yeah. you know, your spouse, which it sounds like your husband has done, which is amazing. So yes, yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, yeah. So anyway, you know, long story short, I mean, it just, it just kept kind of getting worse and I kept getting sicker both emotionally and physically. And it got to the point where I was, you know, kind of sick of being sick. And so then I would say I started getting maybe like six years ago, I I'm 40, I'll be 48 in January. 
um, I started getting sober curious, right? I started reading a lot of Quitlet. Um, I think the first one I read that I really connected with was, I think of a woman in Australia, it was called like Mrs. D is going without or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, and I was really inspired by those stories and I tried to like, and I quit for like 10 days or whatever, and it, it wouldn't stick. And, um, and then I had kind of a rock bottom in 2018. I, um, I had, I had been very socially anxious about something the night before my husband was having an art show and I didn't want to go and have to deal with people. And so I ended up I didn't go, but instead, I think because I felt guilty, I just drank and drank and drank. And I woke up the next morning and I was still uh, still drunk and I attempted to go to work um, and ended up not going. But um, but that was just kind of a real wake up call for me. I ended up missing my daughter's. Uh, I ended up missing my daughter's. Um, what do you call them? Parent-teacher conferences. Mm -hmm. um, it just was a really, really bad day for me. And I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. It was the first time I asked my husband for help. He came home at lunch and we were supposed to go to conferences in the afternoon. I was like, I can't do this. And he's like, go to the conferences. And I said, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this. And um, so I tried going a friend, I called a friend of mine and she came over and she knew like, I was like, I'm in Saudi Arabia. What do I do? Like alcohol is not even allowed. How am I going to find like AA or what or support? And I still was uncomfortable with the word alcoholic. And, um, so anyway, but my friend told me about an AA meeting and I found it and I went and I, I went and I stayed sober for about 70 days. And then I came home to the U.S. for Christmas mm. and I uh, I started drinking again and I went and picked my, my husband wasn't here. I was with my girls and then my husband came after and I went to pick him up at the airport and I was like, you're going to have to drive home. I'm too hungover. I can't, can't do it. And I was so ridden with anxiety. Um, and that began like three years uh, or two years. Uh, just trying to do it on my own, white knuckle, being miserable, just like caught in that pattern. Mm -hmm. um, Something that's so interesting to me about your story that is really unique is this idea. I keep thinking of environment and meaning like one of our biggest triggers, you know, in addition to emotions and everything mm -hmm. is like location or environment. Yeah. And so I think it's really fascinating that you are this person that had two environments. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you might be making progress in the one environment, yeah. but then like you said, you came back to the States and boom, that environment was just such a trigger for you. Yes. Um, so that it just goes to show, I, you know, I don't know how many people can relate to kind of that dual lifestyle, but it just goes to show the power of what a location or an environment can be doing detrimentally to, to your addictions. 100 percent yeah 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 and later on when I started working with a sober coach um he and I used to call it like uh 
like I would level up, like you're playing a video game and mm -hmm. you have to beat the next level, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I did that. I did that sober, you know, oh, and I'm not ready to beat that level yet. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yeah, um, you're the second of... person on the podcast <laughs> to make that analogy of like yeah. Mario Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It really went, I really worked for me once I got it because I said, okay, yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to to tackle that level yet, yeah. but, but Let's I can just stay here proud. for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I can be proud of this one. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So then like COVID hit, right. And, um, my oldest daughter, we don't have a high school where we are. So she was starting boarding school in, um, in Canada. Cause it's close to Washington. There aren't a lot of boarding schools here. And we have, Anyway, long story short, our family got divided and stuck in like three different places. My mm -hmm. husband and my two younger daughters were in Saudi. I was here and my oldest daughter was in Canada. And um, I, I had tried AA again, but I left after like three times. And then I joined a, um, a organization group, whatever called Tempest. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was it was started That's as Holly Whitaker's, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was started okay. as Hip Sobriety by Holly Whitaker. And I joined right right after it transitioned. And in fact, when I joined, I had no idea really who Holly Whitaker was. It was right before her book came out. Oh, um before the book. It was okay. just before it came out. I feel like I started hearing people talk about it right around when I joined. Um okay. anyway. we're talking about Quit Like a Woman by yes. Holly Whitaker. Yes. If, if you need a reference. So go get it. Yes. It's amazing. It'll change your life. Fabulous book. <laughs> I loved it. And I loved the community. It was very small when I joined, which was fabulous, right? Yeah. Like the the meetings I went to would have like sometimes six, seven people on it. And it totally changed my my experience with drinking um it helped me realize that i could engage in the process even though i wasn't yet sober um it helped me dig a little deeper and really i feel like dig into the shame uh that was attached to it i started working with a coach there um who has since left um uh, and started her own coaching business, Christina Hanks, who I just absolutely adore. Um, and I worked together with her one-on-one -on -one for about a year. Um, and I feel like during that time, pretty much, so in, in, in January of 2021, I was like, I need a way to, I couldn't keep track of days because yeah. I just found it so demoralizing when I would drink again so I started I bought one of these wall calendars of the whole year and I started giving myself stickers gold stars on the days that I didn't drink mm -hmm. and then I gave myself a foil heart on the days I did drink oh. because I felt like I needed some sort of recognition that that was a day I needed like a little extra love or something. Yeah. And it didn't make me feel like there were these big gaping holes on the chart that I was still working. Right. And I think that's why I say I've been in recovery for four years because I've been working toward this thing of trying to find this, this space, this, this thing that I knew I wanted for myself. And I just, it just took time. It was a journey. Um, I, I just love, love the visual. I can almost picture the calendar starting with maybe more silver hearts, foil yeah. hearts, 
than yeah. gold stars and it kind of transitioning over time. So I love that visual. I love just to hear from somebody that, you know what, counting days didn't serve you. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that counting days is bad. It doesn't mean that other people mm-hmm. should count days, but it wasn't serving your goals with yes. your own sobriety. Yeah. And I think that's so important and to acknowledge you know, you've even taken it a step further that the days that you did drink, they're not, they don't get a big red X, right? They, they get a little bit of loving and, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit wrinkled. I can just picture the foil. I think it's such mm-hmm. a beautiful analogy. Um, you know, we, we accomplish so many things in our lives, you know, for example, you know, your degree from Columbia, right? There were days in in those four years or however many years you attended that maybe you didn't do homework or you bombed an exam or didn't show up to class. Does that mean that you failed at your education? Like, right. absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> um, and I don't know why sobriety oftentimes is viewed in such a black and white manner because yeah. it's so gray and we deserve credit for every moment. Yes. People ask me all the time, my sobriety date. And I, my, my response is I started my journey in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's not the day I got yeah. sober, Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I yes. want credit for that. <laughs> of course. No. And it's very much the way that I am describing it as well when I'm asked, um, Because I think it's so important. And I think, you know, the other thing I'm recovering from is probably perfectionism. You know, I felt like if you couldn't do it right, it wasn't worth doing. Or, you know, I had a, I would often get the case of the fuckets, right? Like I'd I'd be like all gung-ho about doing something and then I would mess up once. So I'd be like, oh, well, I'm not even going to try, you know? Yeah. I wonder if that is somehow correlated to your, like admittedly you were kind of more of a binge drinker, like not, not to label it, but that was kind Mm -hmm. of your style. And that's very much like all or nothing thinking as well. I think that's really interesting. A hundred percent. It's like, well, why have one if we can have 10, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So I feel like 2021 was really the year of working on just being softer with myself, creating practice, building my toolkit, creating practices that were focused on, on self-compassion. And then December 27th of 2021, I had, I had drank on Christmas Eve and was hungover again on Christmas day. And I'm like, you know, I said, I kind of, I, I said to my coach, I said, I kind of feel like I'm not, I've gotten to a place where I'm not afraid of failing anymore. I've, I've let go of the shame and I'm really ready to try to push myself now to say, okay, I'm going to do this because I'm not afraid of failing anymore. And, um, and part of that was for me was I needed in-person support and I couldn't get it any other way in Saudi Arabia. So I decided to go back to AA and a 12 step program. And I did. And I told myself that I would keep going even if I drank again. And I did. And I had three more drinking days in 2022, um, one in January and two in February. And, um, 
and I just have 10 months consecutive sobriety on this last weekend. Um, and, and, and I don't really know how many days I have exactly anymore or what day is my sobriety date, mm -hmm. because I think it just is, I know I'm on the journey and, um, I, I've been able to kind of let go of it a little bit and just mm -hmm. uh, really, for me, it's about being present with myself witnessing whatever it is I'm experiencing the good and the bad and all of it mm -hmm. and just sort of loving and giving myself compassion through that um and a big part of that is that all the different communities I've been part of the coaches I've worked with um really diving into to mindfulness um and learning you know, because my I I really learned that part of what when my I have a lot of trauma from my childhood, as many of us do, and my nervous system easily gets activated by things around me, and that is when like I start to crawl out of my skin, and I and I would be like, oh my god, I need a drink, or you know, um, and so really learning to recognize when uh, my nervous system's being activated and um, be able to sit with it and figure out, you know, am I really in danger? You know, sometimes we are. Um, or is it something that I can work my way through and come out the other side in a different way um, that is not so harmful to, to me? You know, drinking worked for a long time until it didn't. Yep. Um, and I don't want to use that to cope anymore. I want to use other things. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's kind of where my journey's at now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to hear this. And like, I love how you said one of the first things you did was to start building your toolbox and you've obviously used so many resources that have helped you in your, in your sobriety. My question to you is if you can think of an example fairly recently within the past couple months, whatever, where you were activated mm -hmm. or triggered, can you share maybe one of the tools or one of the methods that, that is kind of a go-to for you that you had some success with? Yeah. Um, yeah. So just the other day, I just, I just did a live about this on Instagram actually two days ago. Um, just the other day I had an experience. I'm not going to share what it is. I didn't on Instagram either, but it triggered me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm getting to the point where I can notice now when it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. But still, even when you know it, like I kept going into like ruminating about it, being defensive about it, uh, being self, uh, like sort of self, uh, I can't think of the word, like flagellating myself about it, right? Like, oh my gosh, I should have done blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, all the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and, you know, I'm really good at those too. <laughs> um, and because of all the work I've been doing, I was able to sort of interrupt that by one of my biggest tools now is naming things. Uh, so I'm like, oh, noticing and naming and getting curious. So, oh, 
I'm noticing that I'm feeling very defensive about this. You know, I'm noticing that's making me uncomfortable. I'm noticing my gut is churning. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing, you know, making it being kind of almost like I'm looking down on myself, right? So I'm able to to detach the emotion from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then validating what I'm feeling like, huh, it's understandable that I feel that way. You know, um, other people in my position might feel that way. Or, um, you know, it is hurtful when these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then offering myself some self-compassion, right? Even though I feel this way, or even though this is happening to me, I'm still loved. Even though this is happening to me, I'm still worthy. Even though this is happening, I'm still connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of my main go-to right now is naming what I'm experiencing, validating it, and then offering myself self-compassion. And through that process of those three things, you know, my gut stops churning. Sometimes the emotion gets bigger, but that's actually what I want. Because instead of being caught in my head about it or caught in my gut about it, just feeling anxious and nervous and angry and blah, blah, blah. It all like move this, this mindfulness practice I'm, I'm learning right now is called tame, soothe, dwell. And it's about taming the mind, soothing the gut and dwelling in your heart. And I can literally feel those emotions well up in my heart. And sometimes they spill out in tears or, or laughter or whatever it is that I need to do. And then it's released. And my, my nervous system's like, okay, we're safe. You know, we're okay. Um, we can move, we can move on. Um, so yeah, so that's, yeah. No, that's great. I love naming it. I love the idea that you're removing yourself, almost like that outer body experience. Mm -hmm. I know, I think part of naming it, sometimes a tool that I've used and have seen used is like the five senses. So Mm -hmm. so you're triggered, you feel the emotion and you identify, okay, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I, you know, smelling all the five senses and it, it helped. It's a it's a grounding technique similar yes. to what you just explained, but then I love how you then couple that up because that's, that's great. And you, you most likely will feel more grounded after identifying those five senses or mm-hmm. where you're feeling in your body, but then to kind of take it the two steps further of validation and self-compassion is really powerful. Like in therapy or with coaches, you know, so much of what we're doing is actually seeking validation mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of what we're sharing or what we're experiencing. And it's really powerful to experience that back. And so I think, yes, these professionals and these relationships are are crucially important, but for individuals that might not have resources or access to, you know, these professionals, just know that you have the ability within yourself to Mm -hmm. accomplish the same thing. So I'm going to say it again, just in case you missed it, you know, identify, validate and self-compassion is the wisdom that, that Heather just shared with us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that to me, if, if it, I'm assuming it's taken some time to kind of 
and you're probably still mastering it, right? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a practice, right? It's, a practice. It's, it's like I love the I love phrasing it too. I learned this at Tempest that I'm that I'm practicing sobriety, just like I practice mm-hmm. yoga, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm practicing, you know, learning how to disrupt these automatic responses in my nervous system and offer yeah. myself care and compassion. And yeah, it's a practice. When yeah. you know, we have to. And we deserve and are worthy of giving ourselves the time and the space, yeah, you know, yeah, finding yeah. it. And it can be all and done in a moment, you know, that, that's the thing. But I do also really love that these are things that are accessible to anyone, anywhere. Yeah. 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 And I think people forget that I love calling it a practice because that is, that couldn't be more true. And I think sometimes we forget, Hey, we practiced our alcoholism for 10, 20, 30 Mm -hmm. some odd years, right? Most Mm -hmm. of our listeners are between the age of 35 and 55, which means most of us have at least minimum of a decade um, of drinking, of drinking practice. So to, you know, and undoing a habit is arguably more challenging than implementing a new one. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think the grace and compassion really needs to Oh yeah. Because you know, we have 20 years. I had 20 years ingrained in my brain, my body, my habits of how to tackle these emotions and these triggers. And Mm -hmm. it's no easy feat to adjust them. So the idea that we are practicing for something, Mm -hmm. I think also is is so much more palatable. It's so much more so like, hey, I can do that. I can practice sobriety. Yes. Um, I can't get sober, right? That might feel too big, too much to some people. Um, Some people, the black and white thinking actually serves them better, right? Because that's how they maintain their sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, I think ultimately it's so important. And obviously Heather, you've, you started your self-awareness journey a lot earlier, you know, based on the story that you shared, kind Mm -hmm. of acknowledging you were using it to medicate, you were using it to, you know, run away your you time. And so just, you know, I think that this is such a great story that emphasizes the importance of just like developing that self-awareness first yes um, before you try to make these drastic and they are drastic changes in your life well because there's a readiness period too right Mm -hmm. and I do think I came to some of the realizations earlier and I do credit that with my academic and professional training you know Mm -hmm. I be I clinical social work is is therapy is counseling and you know I I was trained to help people who were struggling. And so I knew these things in my head and in my heart, and I just had to figure out a way to put them into practice in my own life. And a lot of that is readiness. And Mm -hmm. another coach I worked with on, on habits in my life, another good friend of mine and uh, not ex social worker, but she also studied social work. uh, she talked a lot about the using the word becoming. So I am becoming the kind of person who, right. And it's not, and that was helpful for me because it wasn't this, like, I have to do it perfectly right out of the gate. Right. Like, and so I use that all the time when I'm trying to create a new habit, you know, I'm becoming the kind of person who uh, drinks uh, more water every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm becoming, you know, because it just is a little bit softer and And I still can't fail. If you're just trying to become or practice to use all these words, you literally cannot fail. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Which I need it. I need. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise I shut down. Yeah. And I I don't even want to try because I'm afraid. And uh, however, um, I'm learning. uh, I'm getting better at it. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's part of where my coaching practice has, has developed from. Uh, and and you said in my introduction that finding the magic in the messy middle because I've learned that that is actually where that is actually the best part right that's actually where the most growth happens it can be miserable and feel awful but it is the place it is the it is the place where all good things come from you know that down in the dirt and the grime and the crawling out and the rebirth and it's all it's all ours right like nobody else owns that but us and it's it's scary and beautiful and messy all at the same time yeah I love that I love that and I think so many of us you know at least from the external perspective we try to avoid to at all costs being being perceived in that messy middle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. icky area and you know the more that we can just embrace that again it's that gray area there's always going to be a, a little bits that are messy and unput together mm-hmm. and um and i think the more and more that you know i've i've tried to embrace my messy and even you know share it with the world on platforms like this and you know in the together sober facebook community and that kind of thing is you know, ironically, that's where I've done so much of the healing work is just by sharing that stuff. I'm curious, um, I would be excited to learn about your She Recovers journey. If you wanted to share a little bit about, I know about the organization, but I I would love just for you to share a little bit about kind of what the foundation and the organization does and and how did you even decide like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, well, you know, I so a few years ago, I kind of transitioned to um, working with coaches instead of therapists. I kind of felt like I'd gone as far as I could with with therapy, and I needed to be more focused in the present um, and kind of pushing off from there, being being grounded, being with myself. And then I found that the path just kind of started to appear in front of me when I started living that way. And along that journey, I kind of decided like, well, you know, why not me? I I have this incredible transferable skill set from being a school counselor and um, kind of professionally, you know, working with kids and families and, you know, why couldn't I coach. Um, And so as I was exploring the different training opportunities, a community that really attracted me was the She Recovers community because, um, you know, they focus on this idea and I referred to it in my, um, in my introduction was this idea that we need to recover out loud. Um, the, The recovering out loud literally saves lives. Um, and it is what um, saved my life and was other people being brave enough to recover out loud. And I'm not just talking about um, alcohol or addictions. That's the other thing I love about the She Recovers yeah. community because I, I didn't feel like my personal experience um, 
was pulling me toward being a recovery coach uh, as far as sobriety was concerned. Um, however, I did feel like trauma and recovery were a huge part of the work I wanted to do and to be able to, I mean, you can't get into the messy middle without like, you know, getting into trauma and recovery from anything. So perfectionism, uh, abuse, you know, all these different things in our lives that we are recovering from. And, and I think communities and circles of women are so powerful. Um, and so I was really drawn into the community. They, you know, first through Facebook, they have a great Facebook support community, but they also offer, um, recovery circles, which are online, you know, meetings where you can get support from trained coaches who volunteer their time. Um, and I thought, I want to be part of that. I want to um, be part of, I, I want to volunteer my time. I don't want to just charge for coaching. And I want to be part of a community that their values really aligned with with mm -hmm. mine and what I was feeling. It's the one thing, you know, I do, I am part of a 12-step program. It's an important part of my recovery. Um, and I have trouble with, I don't want to be anonymous. Yeah. I want to, I want to tell my story and I and I'm comfortable with that. And um I'm comfortable with the two existing at the same time. So yeah, so I am actually in the middle of pursuing training. Uh, you kind of have to do a pre-program in order to to uh, be do the She Recovers coaching training certificate. So I am doing training in um, addiction recovery uh, coaching. Um, even though it's not going to be my main area of focus in my personal coaching practice, I feel there's so rec recovery because we're all recovering from something is the stuff of life, right? Like it, it's like a, it's like a blueprint for, for how to live our lives. And so I'm getting so much out of the training. Um, and I'm looking forward to joining that community of coaches. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for obviously the work that you're doing now and the work that you're going to continue to do with them. I mean, you embody recovering out loud. Um, and I, I love this kind of service first, the rest will mm -hmm. follow mentality, mm -hmm. which I'm also receiving so much from you. So this is incredible. So um, before I ask you one last question, um, if any listeners kind of wanted to get in touch with you or, or find you somewhere, is there a place somewhere out there in the social world that they should reach out? Yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just on the cusp of that social A at 48, but I do, I have a um, Instagram profile, minding the gaps underscore coaching. And um, on, you can find me on Facebook at minding the gaps. Um, and I also have a website called minding the gaps. Awesome. Um, and it's based on that idea of digging into the middle, right? Paying mm -hmm. attention to the stuff that's between point A and point B. So, yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, one last question for you, Heather, and I'm so grateful for you sharing your story today. I know so much just playing back our conversation is so relatable to so many people. And I think, you know, really is going to help individuals feel like just this concept of practicing sobriety, not striving for perfection. And so thank you for kind of shedding light on that gray area. Um, and, and what that sobriety journey can look like. My question to you is one that I ask most of our um, 
our storytellers, if there was a law or a rule that you could instill into the world today as it relates to mental health, sobriety, et cetera. This is hypothetical. So we're assuming that individuals are going to follow this rule that you're going to make up or create. What would that rule be in order to kind of bring us to a better tomorrow? Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, um, you know, create, create space for yourself every day. Um, create a sacred space for yourself, even if it's just five minutes, mm-hmm. even if it's just one breath, uh, you know, with a sigh on the out breath, finding that time to check in with yourself every day, you know, it can look so different for everybody. Um, it can be journaling, it could be breathing, it could be, it can be, you know, I think right now, like when Uh, when people are, there's a lot of holidays right now, people are visiting families, times are stressful, you might be on the road, like closing the bathroom door, (laughs) going outside, right? Like finding a way, claiming that space and keeping it as sacred. Because unless we take care of ourselves and check in with ourselves to see how we're really, really doing, asking ourselves what we need in in a moment in order to, to feel well and whole and loved you know offering ourselves love if we're not getting it somewhere else um that is the stuff that will that will change the world because it gives us um it gives us permission it gives us uh it helps to re-energize restore Mm -hmm. um because if we and and just even i say just even a breath because it can creep up on us you know this not taking care of ourselves. So even if you just do that once a day, slowly over time, it'll build up to more. So that's incredible. I'm literally picturing what it would be like if every single person in the world took that moment just to recharge. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, how does that mean that everybody's showing up in the world? Mm -hmm. And I think that would make a world of a difference, truly. So, oh my gosh, Heather, I can't thank you enough for your storytelling, your wisdom, just the the new ideas. It's like a a breath of fresh air, honestly, to hear your approach to your own journey and the sobriety journey. And thank you again for the work that you're starting to do. And I know you're going to continue to do and crush it out there. So (laughs) thank you so much Together Sober listeners. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please do not forget to rate and review. That is the only way that these stories will start to be shared with others and more and more, and we will continue to impact lives together. So until then, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. If you're still listening right now, I'm going to assume that you really liked this episode. And if that's the case, can you please go ahead and rate and review the Together Sober podcast? What this does is organically puts the podcast into more listeners' ears, thus creating more lasting and effortless sobriety and mental peace for others.